friends and brothers. Thank you for uh, joining us tonight. And uh, we're extremely excited to have our, our friend, our colleague, our, our, one of our mentors with the Officer Leadership and with the uh, Committee on Education for the Grand Lodge of Texas. Cody Cockroft is the chairman, and he keeps me in line for sure and, uh, and allows Justin to tag along and, and have fun, too. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for coming, Cody. We, we are so grateful to have you on the show. It's, it's just an exciting time for Freemasonry, and, uh, and we are so happy to, to be a part of it, and, and we're glad that you've, uh, you've taken the helm and, and uh, you're pushing Freemasonry a little bit further this year. Thank you for having me. So, Cody, I'm very curious before we get started, is keeping Dennis in line part of the job description or is it other duties <laughs> as required? Well, I don't know who's a bigger victim of circumstance here. Um, <laughs> so he's uh, joined us only so recently and I haven't been the chair um, too long. So I think we both have a lot to figure out. Okay. Well, Cody, right, I, right. I really appreciate you taking time out of your evening. I know you're extremely busy. Um, however, I, I, I'm, I'm very excited about the conversation we're about to have. Cody, just to start off, tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Where, where are you from originally? Um, so I'm originally from uh, the Hill Country of Texas. I was born and raised in a uh, town called Burnett, Texas. Um, that's about 50 miles northwest of Austin. Uh, so I was a uh, Burnett Bulldog, um, and you say it Burnett, in, in order for <laughs> Not you, say, you say Burnett, Burnett, um, so people get pretty offended if you say Burnett. Um, <laughs> so um, my, my mother still lives there, uh, my brother lives there, uh, that's that's uh, where my, my father practiced his uh, Freemasonry from Valley Lodge 175. Um, but he was actually initiated, passed, and raised a sublime degree in Lano 242. Um, so after Burnett, um, I went to a uh, I went to Agony Land, um, and that's where I got my civil <laughs> engineering degree. Uh, I specialized in geotechnical and structural engineering. Um, left there, practiced structural engineering, commercial structural engineering in Dallas for about three years. Uh, left Dallas and uh, got employed with the Lower Colorado River Authority in Austin. Um, and since I was in Austin and I didn't have anything better to do, um, I joined that school there in Austin, uh, UT Austin. That's where I got my master's degree. Um, so, uh, from the lower Colorado river, river authority, um, I've worked there about 10 years. Um, and then, uh, my, I jumped to, uh, Friesen Nichols, uh, my current employer. Um, and they waved a carrot in front of me and said, Hey, we'd like you to start a water resource design practice in Houston. Uh, so that was in uh, the quarter one of 2009. So I've been in the Houston area since then. Uh, we set up shop here. Uh, we've grown that uh, our business here in Houston from about five people to north of 180 people. Nice. Uh, so Very cool. I am literally a dam engineer. Um, I have my hands on all the large high hazard dams from the lower Colorado to the Sabine River. Um, so I like, uh, I like dirt, which engineers don't call it dirt, but I like dirt. Um, I like, uh, concrete, I like steel and I like things to sit still. So I make a pretty good civil engineer. Nice. So that's so my story. Um, uh, married to a wonderful woman by the name of Tina, uh, together, uh, we have, uh, uh, five, five boys. Um, I have an oldest son who's 27 years old from my first wife. She has three grown boys um, from her first husband, and together we have a uh, um, a boy by the name of Quinlan, who's 16, who plays football here at Jordan High School uh, for the Katy Independent School District. And uh, by the way, he will be installed as the Master Counselor of the Imperial Demolay Chapter um, next week, Tuesday. Very nice. cool. Very cool. That is very cool. Yeah. yeah That's a lot to unpack. Yeah. You know, you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't think about it, but you know, when I was how old was I? Back in nineteen ninety eight, I was offered a scholarship to SMU and their engineering department. 
I had to turn it down, but you wouldn't think it by having my personality. I, I do not sound like an engineer at all, do I? Well, it takes it's probably, time. it's probably yeah. better that I didn't, it's probably better that I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. Y'all might be able to tolerate me anymore if I do. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think engineers are smarter than the next guy. Uh, they just have to be persistent. Um, you know, so work hard, um, and do the right thing. And, um, I'm privileged to do what I do because I truly believe that what I do, um, benefits, um, society, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, Ethics is very important in my business, my Masonic career, my professional career, very complimentary. Yeah. So that knowing that you're an engineer makes a, makes a lot of sense. So I say that because my, my master's is in physics and I've always observed that engineers, while very, while very intelligent people are also very analytical. They're very, they're extremely detail focused. And so that makes a lot of sense because because working with you with with OLT, um, I, I, I've noticed that you're very detail oriented. So that makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, uh, I've been fortunate. Uh, you know, I'm a um, I'm a vice president um, of the organization. And, you know, being this chair, you know, you, you wear many hats like we do in, uh, in Lodge. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so being secretary and being all these things. Um, I haven't had to do those duties for some time. Um, but, uh, my previous secretaries or assistants, whatever you want to call them, um, taught me well. So what got you into the fraternity, Cody? You know, um, my dad, um, lived and breathed, uh, Freemasonry. Um, and he's from that, that, that old school where he never asked me to be a Mason. Um, but he, uh, he obviously taught a lot of people their work and, you know, growing up, there was always, um, a lot of peace officers at the house. Um, oftentimes I'd see dad sitting out in the street in their car, not, I didn't know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I, as I was, uh, as I was growing up, you know, a lot of those men, um, looked upon me favorably. Um, I admired those men, um. And uh, they always looked after, you know, my family and uh, me, my father, and so on and so forth. So I didn't know what masonry was, um, but uh, he did tell me one time, he said, look, if you ever join it, um, I think it'll do a lot of good for you. That's about the closest he ever got to invite me into it. Uh, So fast forwarding it a few years when I moved to Houston, um, there was a, uh, um, he was getting sick, uh, real sick. And, um, kind of a greedy, um, situation for me. Um, I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and jump into it to give him something to live for. Cause you know, everybody else told me that, you know, he wouldn't be a, be a Mason. Um, so that's why I started it. I started it to keep him alive, right. To give him something to live for. Once you, uh, joined Freemasonry and, you know, once, once you're, your dad had, had gone, what, how did, how did you feel like masonry compared to what you had thought about it prior? Did, did you have any preconceptions going in that, that were or were not met or, or how did that work out? You know, um, I, I don't know if it met my expectations. I don't know if it underserved or exceeded my expectations. Um, whatever I do, I'm going to give it my best. Um, and my expectation is that organization is going to give me its best. And there's times that it will, and there's times that I can't. Um, so in truth, I think in combination, it being mutually inclusive, um, I would say that I'm satisfied um, in my decision. And, and um, I think that I do provide value to the organization. And I can tell you both and whoever listens or watches this, if there ever comes a day that I don't believe I am, then I'll step out. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I, I'm satisfied, but I, I didn't really have expectations. But I can tell you, if I do anything, I'm going to jump in with two feet. Yeah. That's just how I am. I mean, that's why I'm so pretty now, because I can take a pretty good buck kicking. Yeah. So <laughs> I, think that, I think that's how all three of us are. Yeah. We go all in once we do right. something. 
Absolutely. You have to in life. Yeah. You want to get one go around, you might as well make it, make it the best you can absolutely make it. Well, and yeah. I, you know, I, I, you know, the way I look at it, I'm a, obviously I'm an engineer. I, I'm not an artist, uh, but there is a quote uh, that I oftentimes refer, refer back to, and it's, it's by Michelangelo. Um, and it basically says, you know, the danger for most of us is not that we aim too high and miss our target, but we aim too low and achieve the mark. And um, I think yes, from, a, absolutely. From, a, from a Masonic perspective, I think that that we as Masons, the two of you don't make me a better Mason. There's not a Mason that makes me a better Mason. My family makes me a better Mason, but I do look to you in all Texas Masons and Masons worldwide to hold me accountable, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, for my passions and my actions. Love it. Accountability is very important. Yes, sir. And, and with that, with that thought, you know, in, in saying that, that you expect Masons to hold you accountable, that's saying also that you're willing to accept that accountability. So, you know, when there's been times that I've been slapped on the back of the head and, and said, you know, why would you say something like that? Why would you do something like that? And, you know, anybody who pushes the boundaries is going to is going to get that from time to time. You know, I'm I'm always trying to to push the boundaries. And it's not that I'm trying to, you know, change things for the sake of change. I just I just think that we can be more exciting, more interesting and whatnot sometimes. But anyways, and some I'm sometimes it's the shock factor, you know, that sure. that gets people's juices flowing and gets them excited about something we got to feel passion right so i've had my fair share of slaps on the back of the head saying you know you you idiot what are you doing and i take it i take it and i accept it because i know that my brothers love me and they they just want to see me succeed and they want the good things for me that's the biggest thing is is in my opinion and i've said it before Brotherly love and affection and, and spreading the cement, it's, it's an attitude. It's not an end result. It's an attitude. Oh. And you have to have the attitude that your brother is telling you something from the most sincere place, not the bad place. That's what makes it brotherly love and affection because it's, it's not how you present something because you can't always make somebody happy with the way you present it. But the way you perceive it, is a whole different story. Mm-hmm. You can take it in the best way or you can take it in the worst way and you're either going to learn from it or you're just going to blow it off and, and not get anything from it. So I, my hat's off to you because you touched on something so very dear to me in, in, in saying that accountability because in, in, in accountability, you have to be willing to accept it as well. Yeah. Agreed. But you never, you never took your hat off, Dennis. You know? <laughs> he said hats off to you. you. Never took your hat off. What a phony! What a big I, faker! I'm making a I'm making a statement, buddy. <laughs> this is a fashion statement. Oh, okay. Um, Cody, where do you see the fraternity going in the next uh, couple of decades? You know, um, I don't know. Um, obviously, it it can't remain where it's at. And I don't say that in a bad way. I don't think we're in a bad place mm-hmm. um, at all. Um, but wherever it goes, um, we need, we need folks to embrace that. Um, you know, I look at things as we all have to have a common belief with an uncommon commitment. Right. So the common belief is, is, you know, the, you know, the principal tenets of Freemasonry or the primary virtues of, of Freemasonry. And if we're all committed to that, we'll do great things wherever that may be. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that we're going to explode in numbers and double or quadruple our, our population today? Probably not. Does that mean that we're going to hit, hit the bottom? Probably not. You know, I, I, think, uh, I think we overly concern ourselves with the quantity more so than the quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm not, I'm not worried about the numbers, um, in truth, um, I would rather us to decline in numbers and the quality of those low numbers are, um, numbers of great men as, as opposed to an explosion of, of quantity 
of men that should have never been um, brought into the West Door. I love that. So um, I think it's more important keeping the bad guys out um, than it is even keeping the, the good guys in. But with that being said, the numbers matter because of the, uh, the financial uh, machine uh, that we are. Um, mm-hmm. It takes it takes numbers um, or more numbers to satisfy the, uh, the financial situation if we don't adjust the coefficients with the with the uh, financial situation. Yeah, uh, but that that's a that's a different story. The the interesting thing about numbers, as far as the membership numbers go, and it's it's odd because as you were talking, I was thinking of all the people we've interviewed. No one is concerned about the numbers. No one's concerned about the membership numbers, but we keep hearing like we should be concerned. So I'm, as you're talking, I'm wondering where these guys are. that are so worried about this because it's no one that we're talking to. But if you, if you take any lodge and I, probably 99% of the lodges, if you could somehow get all their members to show up at the lodge, there wouldn't be sitting room. They couldn't hold everybody. So my point is most lodges don't have a membership problem. It's a, uh, it's an attendance problem and it's a, it's a financial problem. And you said something else that I really liked. It's a common, common belief. I think it is with an uncommon commitment with an uncommon commitment. And that is beautiful. If we all shared a common belief and we all had uncommon commitment to our fraternity, that would really set us apart. I love that. And, you know, in in truth, the, the things that we complain about today are the things that they complained about yesterday. And when I say yesterday, I'm talking about the the fifties and the sixties. I mean, mm-hmm. if you read some of that literature, they, they were having the same, same discussion. In fact, in the, in the spring workshop book, um, you know, um, the two of you helped me develop, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the Briscoe spring workshop. And we got three papers going back from the fifties and sixties that speaks to the same things that we're com- complaining about today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to take that in perspective, you know, um, the, uh, the, I call it the fulcrum, the Texas fulcrum, but you, 1963 was the first year that we observed a decline in membership. So if we take Freemasonry in Texas, starting, you know, in 1836, 1837, we say time equals zero, zero official masons and we rise up to 1963 being about 243 to 245,000 masons and then in a far less amount of time we're currently now at about 64 to 65,000 masons right and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of reasons for that Um, but I don't think it's a problem I think it is what it is so here's where I come with it I will never try to focus on making anybody happy any member in any Blue Lodge I sit in, my focus is not to make them happy, but what I will focus my energy on is engagement and fulfillment. If I can satisfy engagement and I can fulfill them in, they themselves happiness. Yeah. You, you, you remind me of a, uh, of a, as a post I saw on Mesa's of Texas, and I don't actually remember the post, but I saw a comment by Ruben Bazan, and I thought it was I thought it was great. And he broke it down. There's three types of members of any organization. You have the core members that are active and they're, they're just doing what needs to be done. You know, they're just bulldozing through getting, getting things taken care of. And then you have another chunk that want to help or able to help, but you have to direct them. And then you have a a large chunk, the, the majority and those are the people that come around sparingly or are inactive or, and, and they complain the most and uh, they have the loudest voice. They complain the loudest. So they're the ones that get all the attention and that, that minority of brothers, the ones that are, that are really leading, they focus all their attention on appeasing that vocal majority would really, we need to focus on the, the brothers that, are showing up that they, that they just need direction. Uh, yeah. So, so the, I guess that the takeaway is, is we need to focus on doing the things that we know need to be done and, and less focus on trying to appease the people that frankly will never be happy no matter what you do anyway. 
Yeah, and I, I got two um, Aggie examples to that. And I say Aggie because it's a lot more s simplistic than what you so elegantly described. But, you know, in masonry and in, in other organizations, there's really three types of people. There's the ones that do, there's the ones that don't, and then there's the ones that don't know what the hell just happened, right? <laughs> <clears throat> now you take this on a, on a model perspective, you think about a Venn diagram. So this is a lodge or this is our fraternity. So the Venn diagram, so imagine a population, 100% population. Mm -hmm. You got a 10% bubble of elitist, the ones that do, the leaders. Mm -hmm. And then you got yes. a 10% bubble of the critics or the ones that are going to put everything in the too hard to deal with box. I will not focus my attention and my energy on the critics and the people that put everything in the too hard to deal with box, because I will grow that bubble with the 80% who I want to use to grow the elite bubble. I see. Right. So yeah, yes. I, I think yes. it's a, it's a behavior thing and it's something that we can lead. Because if we focus all our attention on the critics and everything else, you're not going to get anything done. They're critics because they didn't get anything done. And what, you know, misery appreciates company, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just mm -hmm. not worth my investment, my energy. That's, that's a very good point. Well, and, and you know, with, with that being said, I, I, in my mind, what I see is um, that's the, the epitome of officer leadership training. So you've got, You've got so many brothers that are there because they really want to learn how to help your lodges. And then you've got some that just are there because their lodge told them they had to go. At least that's what they say. They, they use that as their excuse. And then you got some that, you know, are, are just indifferent or whatever. But the, what, what's so cool at officer leadership is that you sit here and you watch and, and not even, like I, I just sat on the sidelines and I just watched last year and I, I just watched people all around and you could see the guys who got it. You could see those 10% just kind of raising above the rest of the crowd. And you could, you could see who's going to be the future leaders of our, of our fraternity. And you could see who would be doing the podcast, who would be, you know, running their lodge, who would be a DDGM one day, probably, you know, it, it's so inspiring to see that in, in such a large level and, and really it should be much larger, but you know, we, we have what we have and, but we have such a large level of participants with officer leadership training and, and you see the guys that are rising to the occasion and they're really enjoying what they're doing. They're feeding off of their tables. They're, they're feeding off of the, the speakers. It's, it's just really uh, an awesome thing to see, to, to be able to witness that firsthand, because a lot of times we, we're, we're stuck in our lodges and all we see is who we know. And we feel like the world is coming down on us because the, the lodge isn't working the way we think it should work or whatever. We don't, we don't feel like inspired or whatever from our lodge, or we don't feel like, um, like our lodge is inspired by us and, and they just turn, you know, we feel like they're just turning a deaf ear to us or whatever, but you get into these officer leadership deals and everybody is, is from a different lodge. Everybody's from a different area and they get in together and nobody knows each other. And they, that's your truest personality right there. Right. Cause you, you really see who's, who's really going for it and who's just going to sit back inside and watch everybody else. But being able to watch that and watch it percolate and watch people grow over that weekend. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be a part of the Committee on Education because of that very thing. If you're bummed out, go to one of these. You know, the yeah. officer leadership training is so cool to see that happen. You know, it's I, I just had to. Well, it's one of my favorite things, guys. I'm sorry. Well, sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I, I think to be to be successful, you have to be passionate about something. And I'll ask you gentlemen a question. What are the four ingredients for fire? Air. Um, oh, my goodness. You have to have some you have to have something to uh, to actually burn. You have so to have all that yes. fuel. All that right. fuel. Yeah, the fuel. Right. You have to have the fuel, the ignition. 
um, the uh, you have to have the, yep, the fan. Got three the, of them. The, you got three. You got to fan the flames. Golly, now I feel stupid. Okay. So a lot that's, of heat. That's, that's uh, thanks, really, Cody. Thanks, well, Cody. This is my show. You're supposed to make me feel smart. Well, no, well so kidding. really, what, <laughs> no, the reason no, I ask that, it, it's not meant to be a trick question, but it, it no. is what I'm trying to base officer leadership on is we need to be the igniter, right? Yes. We need to be the igniter because we, all Masons, have a responsibility to bring masonry to the mason. The man brought himself as the man to masonry. Yes. And oftentimes, too many times, we don't bring that masonry to the mason because these, these men are hungry. So what I want officer leadership to be, and this is the fourth component to fire, if you want fire to live, it has to move. If you keep a fire Good. contained, yes. it won't remain a fire, right? It's true. So right. if, if we can give them the tools and the education and the confidence to lead their lodges, it will move. Yes. You know, they will practice masonry outside their own four walls, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Um, and so that the definition of fire, the four ingredients of fires is essentially the basis on how I want to launch officer leadership training this year. I love it. Yes, exactly. That's how, uh, that's how it happened in Goliad. Anyways, that's how I have it. Yes, sir. <laughs> I understand. I had to say that because when when I got to Goliad, I would always say, "Well, the way we did it in McKinney," and they used to get so mad. So now yeah. I always say, "Well, in Goliad, we do it this." Way. But seriously, there were several of us that went to the leadership training, and now we have officers go every year, and sure. and it makes a difference. And now our whole district is stronger because of the brothers who who took the time to to fuel the passion that they had inside or to, to, to ignite the passion that they had inside. And, and then they started moving around, meeting more people, learning more things. And, and now it just benefits our area more than ever, more than ever. And our area I, is stronger because of all the other areas well, sure. grab information from that. That's, that's the perspective that I value. You know, yes. um, I've been blessed, you know, the, this is my third year um, helping the committee. This is my second, well, actually, it's my fourth year to help the committee. My, my first two years, I was just asked to, uh, you know, like a good master mason um, um, doesn't utilize the the uh, the word no. Uh, so I got called in to be a speaker a couple of times. But um, every time I go, especially the last two years, last year, I was actually a committee member this year, being the chair. I learned more from the people who attend than I suspect that they learned from me. And I love yes. the perspective because the, the situations and the culture that we have in Houston is different than we have in North Texas, which is different than in South Texas. None of us are better and none of us are worse. We have a different culture about us. And right. You know, not not everything fits the same way. But as Masons, being master geometricians, if we're told, we can do beautiful things. Yes. And not only that, but, you know, with today's day and age, we have people moving around and and working from home and, and you know, living all over the place. You have transplants and implants in every city and, and even down in Goliad, got people that are retiring into Goliad and they come from a different culture, a different sure. dynamic. So when we go out and we learn from these other brothers with these different dynamics, we're able to visit with and, and re attract and retain those brothers that have come into our areas as well. It, it works both ways. It sure it, does. It's, such a such a ebb and flow it really is it's, mm -hmm. it's really cool so cody tell us why you decided that you wanted to be involved with the education committee you know what um three four or five years ago hell i can remember um i was the uh, district education officer for uh, masonic district 108 um and i really enjoyed it you know i'm a history buff anyway um I'm a ritualist, and what's always fascinated me is the words behind the words, right? I don't believe you can be a good ritualist if you don't understand the words behind the words. You might be a good uh, 
um, mason that can memorize things well, but if you don't understand the importance of those words, um, I don't think you can call yourself rich, ritualist. That's my mm -hmm. opinion. And I don't expect everybody to agree to that opinion. Um, but the reason I got involved on the leadership um, training or the committee on education, um, I got a phone call uh, one night four years ago on a Thursday. Um, and I think I was the district deputy grandmaster of, of, of my district and uh, got a phone call from Larry. And Larry said, look, um, a couple of our committee members can't make this uh, meeting in Dallas tomorrow night. Could you come in and, and uh, um, speak to it? I said, well, give me the uh, give me what you want me to speak to and I'll come up there to Dallas and I'll do it. Uh, so I did. Um, I left Houston um, Friday afternoon and showed up there at the Hella Shrine and I, I, I taught 201 that night. Wow. Um, now, I will say I did not present the material that Larry provided me. Um, I had to do yeah. it with my own spin. Um, I didn't get away from what the message he wanted me to, to continue. Um, but uh, that night, I actually uh, was the night I met Sam Gibbons. Um, and uh, he approached me um, after that, and um, you know, he said, "Hey, why don't we go to why don't we go to dinner?" So I met I met Sam for dinner, but I had to get back to Houston because I had three Master Masons degrees that I was doing that following morning um, in Richmond, Texas, um, starting at eight o'clock. Wow! Um, so anyway, um, I don't know if the the audience enjoyed what I gave them. Uh, but I thoroughly in, enjoyed delivering uh, the message. Uh, then the following year, um, I was asked to actually teach the the full 201 program uh, for for some reason. Hmm. Uh, so I did that. And then last year is when I actually met, met Dennis um, and met some others. And um, I think we had a pretty successful program uh, last year. Um, and then about November, it's about Thanksgiving, uh, this past, this past year, I got a phone call from, uh, uh, then right worshipful billings. Now, uh, my grandmaster, um, asked me if I would consider being the chairman of the committee and, um, you know, in masonry, it's not a good thing to say no. Um, so I said, yes, sir, I'd be happy to do it. And, uh, so I did, um, but, uh. You know, with my spin and some things, and Dennis, I think you can attest to this. Last year, we were we were kind of tinkering with some stuff. Um, we did some things that was probably a lot different or even unorthodox than what's been done in the past, because I wanted to get a feel for what people were needing. You know, um, and uh, we did some things, and we had some pretty pretty nice comments um, or some things that people wanted to learn about. So that really um, is what induced me at Grand Lodge here in January to have that, uh, have that sign up table for people that wanted to volunteer, whether to help us with OLT or help us develop papers or help us to be speakers. You know, there were 45 Masons that volunteered. Wow. And the reason I think that's important is because you know, we, the committee, work at the will and pleasure of the Grand Master, the trustees, and the uh, Masons of Texas. So all we really are is a, is a platform to get the message out there, to bring masonry to the Mason. So it's not something I was aspired to do, Justin, to answer your question. Mm -hmm. It's just something that kind of fell in my lap, um, and it's something that I embraced. And it's like with anything else, you don't always get an opportunity. But what we hope for is that we have the discernment to recognize that opportunity and to have the knowledge base and have the tools so that we can respond favorably. Yes. So that's really why I am now the, the chairman. And um, I, uh, I look at it as a servant leader that Dennis doesn't work for me. I work for Dennis 
Justin, we yes. were pleasured to have you <laughs> be a volunteer. I mean, you helped write a paper for our, our spring workshop. I work for you. And I think collectively, um, all of us having a common belief, an uncommon commitment, we're going to get do good things for the Grand Lodge of Texas. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. It. You know, it, I think about when when Chris Williams and I met Chris and and Brad at Officer Leadership Training, and they actually went on to become my two closest mentors, and and. Chris asked me to be on the education committee for the Scottish Rite down in, in San Antonio, and, and I embraced it wholeheartedly. And the very first thing he did was say, okay, and I want you to write a paper for me for the, for the first newsletter. It's like, what? <laughs> write a paper? <laughs> what? I just thought we got to sit and talk about you know philosophical yeah. things. And so anyways – the very first paper that I that I ever wrote for Freemasonry was called um, "Saying Yes to Freemasonry," and the whole idea was the fact that the when it comes along, you've got to say yes, you've got to embrace it, and you have to want to be a moving part in this structure. We you 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 have to want to. To uh, in order to be a successful Mason. Now, you, not everybody wants to do that, and that's okay. I mean, we've got guys that just, you know, want to sit on the sidelines, but even the guys that, you know, don't want to take front stage or whatever and want to just cook the meal, they're a moving part. And sure. they said yes. They said yes. So mm-hmm. every part is a valuable moving part as long as you show up and be a part. And so, you know, I, I, wholeheartedly understand and agree with you on on um on saying yes and since since i said yes the first time it it just it's just snowballed into um where we are now which is is just amazing it's been an amazing ride you know doing the podcast doing the podcast knowing brothers like you and getting to work with brothers like you i mean it's I, I couldn't ask for a better Masonic experience, being able to travel the state and talk to people and, and sure. just get to, man, man, talk about what I signed up for. <laughs> Golly. Yeah. yeah I think y'all are providing a valuable service to the Texas, Texas Masons. And I, I applaud you both, but I, I would like to speak to, you know, to yes. Um, and it, it's something I'm seeing a lot. Um, and I'm not the most experienced Mason. Um, um, but, you know, what I am seeing a lot of is there's a lot of people saying yes for the purpose of title. And they're not well, saying yes because they're willing to, to get some dirt under their fingernails and do what it takes to accomplish yes. Yeah. You know, right. um, and I'm not saying we it takes have a lot a, of miles. Well, it, it takes, it a, takes lot a lot of miles. It takes a lot of Men- sweat. Mentally and physically, sure yes. Does. yes. Sure it does. You know, and. Again, I would rather somebody tell me no, right? And, you know, there's your gentleman's agreement as opposed to a master mason to me, master mason to telling me yes and not doing it mm-hmm. and then not giving right. me the courtesy of an explanation that he couldn't do it. You yeah. know, that happens a lot and that needs to end. I agree. We Those should are, all know our boundaries and our limits. And well, sure we do. It's okay to have them. You know, so push them every once in a while, but it's okay to ha- be able to say no every once in a while to something so that well, you yeah. can achieve more with something else. Yeah. And, you know, there's only so much pushing you can do with a limp noodle up an incline made of sandpaper, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to even try to do it. One of the <laughs> nice, it, it, I like it's, that. It, it's always kind of jokingly said that the magic word of a master mason is no. And, and I get that. I get where people are coming from with that, but that doesn't open doors. And I think, if, I think if someone approaches you for something or if an opportunity presents itself, I'm not a, I'm not a big believer in coincidence. I think, I think there's a reason everything crosses your path. And so I don't know, maybe it goes back to our conversation earlier about the, uh, the, the different types of, of members of organizations, but 
if anything comes across my path, I'm, I'm inclined to say yes. And I know that there are a lot of people that will say no, but I think, uh, I think when you start saying no to a lot of things, you get what you, it goes back to what you get, what you put into the fraternity. And if sure. you're, if you're saying no to a lot of things, you're not putting a whole lot in, you're not going to get much out of it. Well, in, or, in, in the, if you say no, because you can't give it your best, you should say no. Yeah. Yes. But if you give somebody a yes, knowing dang well, you can't do it. That's shameful. Mm-hmm. You know, so yes. if t- I don't get my feelings hurt if somebody tells me no, I, I don't. In fact, I respect the man for it. Yeah. You know, um, but my God, when somebody tells me yes, um, especially if it's a master Mason, that means something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. Say, say your position as chairman of the community on education. If, if you're reaching out to somebody, it's because you you need them to to do something for the committee to to provide some type of value for it. And if they say yes and they end up not doing it, the committee suffers, and ultimately, education across the state will suffer. Well, in, in that, that's that's. I mean, you know, it's 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 one thing that the committee will suffer. It's another thing that the Masons of Texas suffers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, as a committee member, I mean, all we are is a middleman. I mean, we're a platform, you know, uh, a springboard or not. But uh, yeah, yeah it, it compromises a lot, and uh, you know, it's just again common belief within common commitment. Mm-hmm. If you've signed up to to do something, whatever it may be, my God, you give it your best, and if you can't do it, say no. Yeah, don't yes. bow out. I, I value that man. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I, I don't want to use this as a bragging point or anything, but I had to say. But you will. No, I, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> I, had to, I had to say no to most worshipful because I, I was, um, I, I've been committed for quite some time to give the presentation for AMD this coming weekend, and I won't be able to make it to Lubbock. And I actually looked to see if I could fly up there and, and there weren't any flights available for me to take right after. And so I, I really did give it an effort, but I, I just couldn't do it. And I've, I had already, you know, committed this. And so sometimes you, you just have to say no, but you know, on this, on, on, on the other hand, when, so when I talked to, to, um, most worshipful billings several years ago. I, I said, so, so let me know what, what did you do to get to where, to where you are? I mean, what, what happened? And he said, well, it was a lot of planning. Um, but I started off with little projects and did them well. And then I started getting bigger projects and I, and I did them well. And so the, the, you Start with what you can first, and then you'll get more added to your plate, which, you know, we all see that. And sadly, sometimes it goes like, you know, when when people are made district deputy or whatever, um, it's just because they need to fill a spot or what have you. Fortunately, this year, I know that that didn't happen. You know, Grandmaster Billings was very intentional on on who he picked and why he picked up. He, you know, what an excellent um, model of, of a Grand Lodge, in my opinion, not just that I'm one of them, but I heard I heard it was because whatever <laughs> I don't know what District Goliad is, but I heard it was pretty slim pickings there. But, yeah, he was he was second guessing himself on that one. <laughs> but the but with that being said, the point that I was trying to get across, and thank you for messing me up. The point that I was trying to get across is that if somebody asks you to do something. They probably already see the your ability to carry out that that project mm-hmm. um, to success. They probably already see that before they ever asked you. If they didn't want something done, they wouldn't have asked. So if if you're being asked to do something, it's most likely, especially if it's on like a district level or a or a grand lodge level or something like that. It's it's because somebody sees something in you and and values what you have to bring to the table. So when you're, it's one thing to be humble and and committed 
to to uh, to keeping humility in, in how you present yourself. It's a whole nother thing to take that too far and turn down opportunities because you don't want to seem like the guy that's going out for opportunities. You know, if somebody asks you, there's a reason for it. And you probably have the qualifications that they want for you to do that job. Yeah. It's not, once you get to a district in a Grand Lodge level, it's not, um, it's not like in the lodge where you pick the next guy that's in line to, to jump into, into the line. The, you're not picking the newest master mason to throw them into the line. It's not like that with Grand Lodge. They, they really care about who the – so when they – when Brad called you and asked you, Cody, to be chairman, there was a very specific reason, and he thought that you could do it to completion and that, that you would do it successfully. Otherwise, he wouldn't have asked you. So it's almost like, you know, that would be an insult for you to say no at that type of level. <laughs> well, you know, you know really. I, I agree. I, you know, God, God didn't create us equally, right? God created us uniquely, mm -hmm. uniquely to, to act and behave industrially. Yes. We're made to work. We're made to move. Yeah. Uh, yes. So to your point, yeah, it, it's, you know, if, if, if somebody's asking you to do something, it's an our situation. It's not a my thing. There's, there's my, my is being, my and I is being used a little bit too much um, today. It's an our thing. You know, masonry was created by man for the benefit of man. Yes. You know, um, so um, it is personal um, and we should all take it personally. And when you make a personal commitment, I think y'all, y'all know where I stand on that. Um, I would expect a man to, uh, to meet that commitment. Cody, let's talk about officer leadership training. Uh, let's start off just talking about what dates are we're looking at so far this year, sure. uh, where they're going to be at. Sure. So um, as of today, um, it's registrations live. I uh, talked with uh, Rock Worksful Duty and Jason Cofelt. They're live. Um, so yes. it's, it's going to be unlike it has in the past. Uh, if a, if a man is desirous to go, um, he will, or he will not, nor will he ask his secretary to fill out that paperwork and send in a check. Everything's got to be done by on Grandview. You can access it through your portal. Why is that important? Because I don't want to deal with money, right? Mm. Um, Dennis and I and, and Justin, I know you're going to help us. We're going to be focusing on developing the program. The biggest benefit here is because it's going to be done on Grandview, each man's Masonic record is going to be automatically updated. Very cool. You know, nice. How many brothers do we know that have gone through OLT or life, life yes. training and their secretary didn't update their Masonic records? So yeah. when they try to satisfy Article 276A, um, they say, well, you don't, you didn't take it. Well, yes, I did. Well, no, I didn't. And the best thing they can do is show a certificate of OLT, uh, with the grand master of the year that he took it. Right. Uh -huh. So, um, <laughs> I, I think that's a real good thing. Um, and I have to take my, my, my hat off to uh, Rot Worshipful duty. This is just yet another example of the great things that he's done for that office and for the absolutely of Texas. Um, but to, uh, to Houston, Houston is going to be the first program. Um, it's currently scheduled for 29 through 31 July. Uh, there is a cutoff date um, that is two weeks prior to that date. So that's going to be a hard stop um, because we're going to be focused on officer leadership, not the administration hassle there um, they're they're when people get their, their name tags. Yeah, that's now, a nightmare. Yeah, it is a nightmare. It's a, it's, it's a distraction. And, or it was. Um, it yeah. was. Now yeah. it won't be. But you know how it is. No good plan passes their first exposure to reality. I suspect there will be some exceptions. But well, sure. There will be gonna, a yeah. um, So the next one will be in Waco. Um, that will be um, August 5th through the 7th. Um, and that's going to um, be at the uh, Lee Lockwood. And that reminds me, I didn't say where Houston is going to be. Uh, Houston is going to be at the Arabia Shrine. Um, so it's going to be a big facility. And I believe Holland Lodge is going to be having their festive board on that Saturday. 
So I think there's oh, a good nice. opportunity to, to bring a lot of Masons together in Houston. Yes, uh, that nice. was a fun time last year, yeah. too. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we're moving it from Lubbock to Amarillo this year. Uh, we're been, we've been working with the Shrine up there in Amarillo. Um, they're pretty excited by that. Um, and in fact, I think we had more people at officer leadership in Lubbock from Amarillo than we did from Lubbock last year. But those Very days cool. are going to be August 12th through the 14th. Um, and then Fort Worth. Um, we are not going to be having it at the Hella Shrine. We're going to be having it at the Fort Walt, the Fort Worth Temple. Oh, nice. Interesting about that is that's where Masonicon is going to be. Mm -hmm. So it's yes. another opportunity to bring a lot of Masons together. Um, and then we're going to wrap everything up in Corpus Christi, but it will not be at the, at the Omni. Uh, there was a scheduling conflict and um, the shrine um, there in Corpus um, was very gracious to us. And they're going to turn over their facilities for us then. Um, I do understand there at Corpus, they are going to have the, uh, the degree um, on the battleship. So um, with some of the, um, um, some of the revenue that we're hoping to make out of this, we're going to be able to rent a bus and bus everybody to the uh, the thing. Now, one Very thing cool. I wanted there's two things I want to bring out here um, is the the cost have increased a little bit. Uh, so the cost right now is going to be two hundred fifty dollars um, a head. Um, last year it was two twenty. But, you know, the cost of food and, and so on and so forth, it's 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 a uh, it's something real. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be quality food this year. It's going to be quality food. You got to uh, brag about that. A little yeah, bit. I'm excited I, for that, too. It's I'm convinced that masonry, there's three things you have to have all three. You can't have two. You have to have fun. Somebody's got to learn something. You got to eat well. People yes. can disagree with me, but I am sick of looking at the reviews that people have on officer leadership. Um, and, uh, there's one common denominator in all of them at all locations is that the food was less than desirable. That ends this year. Okay. Very nice. Um, what's going to be interesting with this year is, um, uh, those, those folks that came before us, um, Rot Worshipful Griffin, um, Larry and so on and so forth. They've done an outstanding job. But what I have observed is that we, from an officer leadership training, we've been focusing too much on management. We're going to have management this year, but I'm going to tell you right now, the focus is going to be on leadership and management is going to be complementary to leadership. So you're going to see some different, different programs uh, this year that you haven't seen before. Uh, for example, in uh, officer leadership 201, we're going to have a program on strategies to run an effective lodge meeting. I think yes. a lot of our lodges would benefit from that. Yes. Yes, they okay. would. <laughs> um, so we're, we're going to try that. Um, but we're also going to offer something else this year. Um, and if it's Dennis and I have talked about this, this is going to be kind of a year of discovery. Um, we're going to introduce another class on Saturday, Saturday only. So for $75, you get breakfast, you get all the snacks, you get the lunch. Um, but there's going to be three or four additional programs that we're calling additional lodge leadership training. It's a one-day-only class, and in this in this training, what we're going to be focusing on is Masonic etiquette and decorum, parliamentary mm -hmm. procedures, yes. lodge budgeting and fundraising strategies. Um, and what's going to be interesting about it, and we still got to work out the details, is that these classes on Saturday are going to be running simultaneously with 101 and 201. And if if you're somebody that thinks you know everything that you need to know about balloting from 101, you can attend this additional lodge leadership training and potentially take in Masonic etiquette to forum because that's what you think your lodge would benefit from and still have a viable certificate. Now, yes. if you're one of the guys that pays uh, $75 to attend only um, ad additional lodge leadership training, you're not going to get a certificate. But if we're successful with this program, um, and with the permission of the trustees next year, we, we can potentially transform this into a 301 class and it being a full weekend class. So we're going to try some things this year. Um, we're going to fail some things, but I think we're going to have some success. Mm -hmm. But if we're successful, um, we, our financial 
um, calculations, we want to increase the, um, the, uh, uh, the participate participation between 25 and 40%. Again, bring in masonry to the Mason. So over the last five years, we've averaged between about 400, 425 people at all five locations. Um, I would consider it a very successful year if we go north of 550 to 600 mm-hmm. and we got mm-hmm. the room to do that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's most especially. Yes. I'm excited. I'm really excited to attend them this year. Let me ask you this. Uh, you talked a lot about the, the, uh, the, the different approach that you're taking this year and, and, and where and when you need to go, if you're going to go there for, for uh, just, just regular master Mason sitting that might be listening. Let me, let me back up, reword this. For a master mason that might be listening or watch this, the question I want to ask is why should I, as a master mason, go to an OLT? What, what, how will that benefit me? Well, um, you know, I think we're all seeking light. Um, I think we are all obligated uh, to pursue, to, to pursue light. Um, and, um, you might not even know what you're missing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you, you might not know what you're missing. There are some lodges out there that are doing great things. You know, they might be their mission in life or their vision for their lodge might be nothing more than doing great fundraising. Mm-hmm. Their ritual might be piss poor. Right. But my God, they, they lead the herd in fundraising. Yeah. Well, if you're somebody that, you know, is having, having some problems keeping your lights on, there might be a benefit in you learning from those men at that lodge to understand what they're doing, right? Um, you know, it only takes a couple of generations, a couple of masters for a, a lodge to kind of lose itself. You know, like, you know, y'all have heard the stories that there's been some lodges that are very good ritual lodges, and then they get a couple of worshipful masters that didn't care about the ritual. Well, in two or three years, they've lost it. Yeah. And they don't even know what they're doing wrong anymore. You know, I mean, how many lodges have y'all sat in and um, somebody seconds emotion on the floor and they don't even get up to recognize themselves? You know, not only is that, in my opinion, um, um, poor, but that is not being sincere to the secretary. Yeah. Right. I mean, you want to stand up and be recognized. And I say be recognized by the worshipful master in part to slow it down so that secretary can take viable notes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you might not even know that you're doing wrong if you didn't know that you were doing wrong. Yeah. So, right. you know, there, there's two examples, um, but also um, balloting, um, you know, there it, it can be very complicated um, on what does these two balls mean versus these five, mm-hmm. right? So there's value in that. Being taught how to how to read the law book, there's value in that. Yes. You know, it blows mm-hmm. me away that our our law book is that thick, <laughs> um, and it's unfortunate that it's that thick because that kind of tells you where we've been, right? Yeah. Um, but because it's that thick, um, is there's value in getting appreciation that 80% of the issues that you're going to deal with are going to be within this much of it. So learning how to bookmark that, I think there's value, especially when you're a senior officer in a lodge and, um, you're, you're leading your lodge. So, um, and then have a good time in fellowship. Right. Um, a lot of our guys don't get out of our own four lodges, our own four walls. Mm-hmm. Masonry does, in fact, exist beyond our four walls. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to give you uh, some interesting statistics because I, I do appreciate history. Um, have, has either one of y'all read anything on Genghis Khan? Yes. No, he's, he's, I watched well, the Netflix series. I don't know. Okay, how. Well, he, he's, he's a, <laughs> he was a pretty interesting dude, but um, interestingly enough, um, you know, he, uh, he, he and uh, his two uh, successors is what created the Mongolian Empire, right? 
And what, what the empire was before it was an empire was this essentially a series of tribes mm-hmm. that fought each other. They stayed within their own tents and, you know, they just, they just didn't have the, the wherewithal to, to communicate and to do great things. Well, he figured it out. He said, if we're going to do great things, the tribes need to come together. Right. And if you think about that within 88 years, uh, from 12, 1206 to 1309 or something else like that, um, they went from 1.5 million people to 9.3 million people and increased the surface area of their empire by 500%. Wow. That, that story right there, that reference is what I coined that common belief with an uncommon commitment. Mm-hmm. We can do great things if we're all headed in the right direction. Right. right. Wow. Um, so that's where I look at masonry and I, that's where I look at this officer leadership training is it is an opportunity for every man to get outside his own four walls, to get perspective, um, to teach and to learn mm-hmm. the fellowship, to eat well and have fun. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I really like that analogy with Genghis Khan. I, uh, I just wanted to play devil's advocate just for, just for those brothers that might be listening and, and really wondering where the value is for them. But I think you hit the nail on the head when you said they don't know what they're missing out. They really don't know what they don't know until they go. It's easy to, to sit in your own lodge or just visit lodges in your own district and, and think that you're doing everything right. Like there's nothing, there's nothing else to it. But when you actually start traveling, especially when you travel to events like this, that are focused on, on presenting education to the brothers. I will say that every brother that goes, if you actually have go with, go with a receptive attitude and a, and a de- desire to learn, you'll get something from it. Sure. Every brother, even if you've gone 10 times before, you're going to get something of value from it. So that was I'd like to, I, I'd like to expand on that a little bit as well. And let's take it from this per- perspective that, so when in growing up in my professional life, before I retired down here, semi-retired with uh, my properties in, in uh, AT&T, I used to do, build transmissions. I started out as a mop boy and worked my way up and, and learned how to build them and then uh, ended up owning three transmission shops in, in North Texas. Mm-hmm. And in that process, my training was not just hands-on, but it was also, you know, I was in the trenches every day, but on the weekends, I would go to the classes that taught us um, the newest fixes, the newest um, technology that was going on with transmissions. Um, and then I also, on this side, I also went to every Zig Ziglar motivational uh, speaker that I could, every sales and organization um, speaker I could go to so mm-hmm. that I could fine-tune my art, fine-tune my craft. Yeah. And, and I was very, very successful. I was one of the top transmission builders at the time and, and, and had three of the most respected transmission shops in, in North Texas. And however, however, all that experience did not teach me how to run a lodge. It didn't teach me how to herd the cats of, of, uh, of a volunteer society. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's, and I say it like that just because I'm in Goliath and we talk like that, but yeah. to, to deal with, with brothers that are there on their own account. They, they don't have to be there. They're not getting paid, paid, you know, to be there. So mm-hmm. you have to get the buy-in. You have to get the, you know, you have to kind of have a good structured vision for them to follow. If, if you're going to have anybody, you know, participate, actively participate, you have to have a good vision and, and a, a, some type of a of a plan to get to that vision yeah and then you have people that are willing to to you know follow and even lead for you to go into the future so officer leadership training teaches me all the ins and outs of of lodge 
And I can't learn that in just one session either. I've been, I went to the very first one and I went to the 101 and the 201 the first year I, I went and I haven't missed one since. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't stop. I'm a fly on the wall. And, well, sure. and I just have to be a part because I have to, to, I never feel like I'm there. Yeah. So I want to keep sharpening myself. Mm. And now I'm moving forward with, with you guys because I, I really want to learn from the other people that are out there as well. I mean, there's so many different dynamics. And with, you, with the new uh, potentially 301 session, that is so awesome because a lodge, if they're sending their master, they can, it would be an excellent situation to where they could have a past master's meeting before. Mm -hmm. Uh, before sending them and then they could figure out what they need to learn for their lodge, where mm -hmm. their shortcomings are yeah. and what they could do to, to take it further. So yeah. I think it's an excellent, excellent time for people to have their past masters meeting and feed them a dinner mm -hmm. and just talk about where the needs of the lodge. Yeah. Are. And what I'd like to do, you know, talking about vision, you know, it reminds me of Proverbs 29, 29, 18, where there is no vision. Uh, people perish, right? A lot of people don't know how to set a mission statement or, or a vision, you know, so let's empower, empower them uh, yes. to be able to do that. So what we yes. want to do is teach people how to perform a SWOT analysis, a strength, weakness, opportunities, and threats to their own lodge, right? Mm -hmm. Teach them yes. how to do that. Encourage the junior and senior deacon to come to this thing. Because in truth, if, yes. if, if those That's folks are learning start. how to do this, um, a guy should take 201 when he's a senior warden, not when he's a sitting worshipful master. Yes. Yes. And yes. I'll go as far as to say that a senior deacon should have his year about 85 to 90% planned out before he leaves the North yep. because he needs Absolutely. those two years to basically do the, 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 the finite things to be an effective worshipful master. I love it. Well, brothers, man, I mean, we could talk longer, but, um, for for editing purposes in my own sanity, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. But we should definitely do this again sometime because I know there's a lot of content that we still could unpack. Cody, thank you so much for coming this evening. I I, I appreciate your your sharing your knowledge. I appreciate your your service to our fraternity and the uh, education committee. Dennis, good job, man. You did great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all. Thank you all for having me. Yes, sir. Yes. Thank you.